So we are continuing today this uh, series that we started several weeks ago um, as we are studying the life of David. And David is a very prominent Old Testament figure. And again, there's lots of different, you know, names and leaders that were told about and that we see their stories uh, throughout the pages of Scripture. Now, David is one that is, is likely the most popular Old Testament character um, and that, that everybody knows. Again, as we've seen, as we've studied his life over the last few weeks, uh, we see that there are some, some very, very popular and familiar times of his life, and there are other seasons of his life and leadership that, that aren't quite so familiar. Um, but yet, in every season of his leadership, there are lessons to be learned. Um, but as we see that, we started uh, three weeks ago, as we looked at, then Samuel was called to go and anoint David as the next king of Israel. Um, because King Saul, who was the first earthly king of the nation of Israel, um, had, had drifted away from what God had called him to, right, and the godly leadership. And Saul was the first earthly king because Israel, right, as God's chosen people, as, as God's nation was set apart, and they were different that they didn't have an earthly king. God was their king in heaven. And yet, as they uh, wanted to be like everybody else, and so God raised up Saul and anointed him and put him in that place, And Saul started off well, but he drifted to where eventually God had replaced him with David. And so we saw the first week when Samuel went, and again, David was even an afterthought, even for his dad, right? As he started where nobody knew who he was. Okay, and even when when Jesse was told to bring all of his sons to to this meeting with Samuel, he didn't even bring David, right? And so he started from very humble beginnings, right, when nobody knew who he was. And then we looked at the next week when we, he went from where nobody knew who he was all the way to where everybody knew who he was. When he was thrust into the spotlight as he killed Goliath, took down that giant, and all of a sudden everybody knew who David was. And then last week we studied this, this uh, important uh, season in David's life and this transfer of power from Saul to David and, and how David saw God's timing in his life and God's plan, and, and he followed that um, very well, right? Through that as God placed him as the king of Israel. And that's where we left off last week, and we're going to pick that up again today. But our theme verse for this series is, comes from Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Okay, where it says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. And again, this is the, the biblical reputation of David, right? That he was a man after God's own heart and that God chose him and put him in leadership because he would do everything that God wanted him to do. And as we've seen up to this point, David has done that, right? David has been an exceptional leader. In fact, that continues on into 2 Samuel chapter 8, chapters 8 through 10. And that's, again, we left off in chapter um, in chapter 7 last week, this week, we're going to continue on here in the story in 2 Samuel chapter eight. Uh, 8. So 8, 9, and 10, David does exactly as that describes. He does everything that God called him to do. Okay, and he did it well. And he led well. And he led the nation into a, a time of great prosperity. Okay, during this time, we see here in chapter 8 that David is firmly in as king. Okay, he leads the nation Um, into great prosperity. He has large military victories, large amounts of plunder and wealth come flooding into the nation, and they gain a widely known reputation 
throughout the land, that don't mess with Israel, right? Because they will conquer you, right? And God is with him, and, and God is with David, and, and the whole world knew this. Okay, all of this comes through God's leading and through God's blessing because David truly lived up to his biblical reputation during this time, that everything he did, everything that God wanted him to do. And then right in the middle of 2 Samuel 8, Okay, chapter 8, we see verse 15, where it says, So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all of his people. Okay, this is, again, is a time of prosperity for the nation. David is doing an exceptional job in leading them, right? And as we look at this and think, wow, David, I mean, David is close to perfect, Right? As we see this, we see him, him rise up into his leadership and goes through that. And David, even in his leadership, does things that he's not even supposed to do according to the, the customs of the time. Okay, we see in chapter 9, David honors one of Saul's only living relatives. Okay, one of his only last living relatives um, because of his, his friendship and his, and his commitment to Saul's son, Jonathan. Right? He finds this, this one living a relative of Saul, and he honors him, which was exactly the opposite. In that time, when a new dynasty takes control of a nation, right, according to the custom was that you would take everybody from the, from the former ruler, the former dynasty, all of their family members, anybody that was connected to them, and you would, you would execute them or exile them, right? You would wipe them off of the face of the planet because then there is no chance of mutiny or of them trying to take back leadership or any of that. And that was the way you were supposed to do it. And yet David does exactly the opposite of that. He finds this last living relative and he, he brings, literally brings him into the palace and gives him honor. And, and says, you will be a part of this. And again, so he, he does the opposite even of what he's supposed to do. But yet God led him to do that. And then we see in chapter 10, David uh, tries to show honor to even to the surrounding nations, right? And he sends some people into these, these, uh, this other nation and, and they show up and, and, you know, David's intention was to, to bless them because it, uh, they were blessed to overflowing in Israel, right? And yet this nation looks at it and they're like, oh no, that's not really David. David's coming to conquer us. He's just spying on us. And so they treat him bad and they literally pick a fight with David when he had never in, intended to do that. And so then, but then they live up again and they do that. David's like, well, fine, if that's the way it's going to be, right? Then David goes up and he conquers them again. And so then their country becomes a part of Israel, right? And we see David is prosperous in everything that he does, right? Through this entire season of his leadership, David was righteous. David was honorable. David stayed focused on God and he blessed all those around him. Again, at this point, we look at the life of David and think, this guy is perfect. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Okay, now I will say, again, this is one of the reasons I love the Bible, because the Bible tells us the whole story. Okay, there are parts of the Bible that if it was made up, that there are parts and there are stories that would not be included. And this is one of them. Because if it, if it was made up, if it wasn't true, if David wasn't a real person, then 2 Samuel chapter 11 would not be in the Bible. Okay, but it reminds us that David was human. It reminds us that he was not perfect, right? That David is not God. 
And it's so easy for us to take leaders, and especially godly ones, and to put them on a pedestal. And this story of David and Bathsheba reminds us that David was a real person. And David struggled, and we're going to learn from his struggle today, I hope. So that is where we're going to pick up the story today. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets. You're welcome to use one of those. Again, you'll notice on the outline of the page numbers and where you can find this passage in those Bibles. But we're going to read this story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And, and as we read through this story of David and Bathsheba, we're going to read a little bit and kind of pause and, and look at the mistake that David makes. So keep your Bible open. We're going to go back to it several times today. All right, but we're going to pick up this story here in 2 Samuel chapter 11 starting at verse 1, where it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israel army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. All right, we're going to stop right there for a moment. Okay, and because in, even in these first few verses, we see the, David's first mistake. And that's what we're going to see today as we walk, work through this story, that David made a series of mistakes. Okay, and, and with each mistake, the story escalates. Okay, and it gets worse and worse. And David goes down a very dangerous and destructive path. And so again, we're going to learn, I hope, learn from his mistakes today, right? And so that we ourselves do not continue to make these same mistakes. Okay, but as we see this, we are here in verse 1, okay, where David is supposed to go out as king, and this was the, the regular routine and day-to-day -day leadership of a king, was that they would lead their troops into battle at this certain time every year. Okay, David, again, in his prosperity, in his time of leadership, he was very successful, Right? And in fact, David became very comfortable in his leadership and where they were as a nation at this time. In fact, David becomes too comfortable. Okay, as a leader, he delegated too much responsibility and he started to distance, distance himself too far from what God had called him to do. Right? He was the king. He was supposed to be leading his troops in this moment. And yet, as it tells us, he didn't lead his troops at all. He delegated that to Joab. Now, Joab was a great leader, right? Joab was very, uh, you know, capable of this task. But the point is that it wasn't Joab's job. Okay, Joab was, again, top-tier leadership within the nation, and he, and he did a fine job leading the troops, but that was what David was supposed to be doing. Right? And when we see that, again, David was not where David should have been. Okay, he should have been out of town doing the work of the king, leading his troops. And instead, he was in the palace, he was taking naps, and he was trying to fill all of his idle time with different things. David was not where he was supposed to be. And that's where this story picks up. Again, this was not a vacation. This was not well-deserved R&R. And again, there are times in our lives we need to take our vacations, right? We need that time of rest and relaxation and to restore ourselves and so that we can lead well. That's not what was happening here. Okay, David had already had that time. And yet, when it was time for him to go back to work, okay, he sent Joab to go do his job. 
Okay, and so David was where he was not supposed to be. Okay, and, and again, he was supposed to be with his troops, but he didn't go, which is David's first mistake. Okay, and that, and that is that David didn't give 100% to what God had called him to do. Okay, David started slacking off on his responsibility. Now again, he had, he had capable leaders around him. He had, he had built up this great team, but at the same time, he did not give 100% to the role that God had put him into. Right, there was, this was a very specific job that a king is supposed to do, and David didn't do it. Right, and we know this concept. It's true in David's life. It's true in our life. Right, what we focus on is what gets done. Okay, what we focus on is what gets done. And David's focus of leading the nation and leading them well started to drift in this moment. David got lazy. Right, David got too comfortable. David over-delegated, and he was not living into a hundred percent into the role that God had called him to. But he sent Joab to do, his, to do what David was supposed to do, and that was his first mistake. Then we continue on the story, Chap, uh, verse three. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period, then she returned home. And later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. So we see David now um, in trying to fill this idle time and, and all this, this extra you know, time that he had to fill that he shouldn't have been having to fill, right? David then starts down this very destructive road with mistake number two, okay? And that is that David submitted to a sinful desire. Okay, now as we go look back over this story and even just five verses in, okay, we, we quickly realize that this story is not one bad decision, Right, this is a series of bad decisions and a series of mistakes that David makes. And each one builds on top of the, the, the one before it, right, that again leads David down a very destructive path. Okay, now as we even go back to verse two, when he notices Bathsheba's beauty, right, he's just trying to fill his time, he got up from a nap, he's walking around, and he notices this, this strikingly beautiful woman. Now, at that point, right, um, it was not sinful outside of him just not living up to the role that he was given, but he had not crossed into sinful lust at this moment, right? Just acknowledging the fact that she was beautiful does not mean that he was lusting after her. David could have stopped it right there. He could have said, hey, that's a beautiful woman and just kept walking, but that's not what David did. Right, David went back, he gave her a second thought. He lingered on her beauty. Right, and he let his mind wander into the area of lust. Right, and that is where he makes the first sinful decision. Right, where he crosses into sin. Then we see in verse 3, right, as he let his mind linger on her beauty... 
then he lets his mind go to the next step. Right? And that is, again, where lust takes over David's mind and his decisions are not clear decisions anymore. Right? Because he then, the next step was, well, I got to find out who this woman is. Right? So then he, he finds out who she is. Okay, once again, even in verse three, he finds out, right, who she is and that she's married. And this was the next chance that David could have gotten off of this path at this moment. Right, yes, he was already kind of lusting over her, but he could have said, all right, she's married. I got to walk, I got to walk away. I got to go the, the other direction. And he could have turned from his sin right in that moment, but that's not what David did. Right, David continued down that road. Okay, and to where, again, he's like, okay, they'll then he sent for her and she comes over to the palace in verse four. And once she arrived at the palace, then the sin escalated again. And he went from lusting after her to committing adultery with her. And then we see in verse five, as the story continues to escalate, right? When, and as we know, as some time passes and then David finds out that she's pregnant. And this story's not over at lust and adultery, right? This story continues. And we're going to pick up then in verse 6, where it says, Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him, sent him to David. And when Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. And then he told Uriah, Go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Again, as we stop there and to see now David continues down this destructive path and he makes his third mistake. Okay, and the, the mistake number three is that David went around the healthy structure that was in place in his life. Okay, David again had this this team of people, right, under the ranks of the king. And he had, again, Joab was leading the troops. He was, right, he was a very capable leader. He was a man that, that was, you know, at the second tier, right under the king, right? But it wasn't just Joab. I mean, he had a team of people at all these different ranks, right, that were an accountability structure for David, right? But notice David goes right around that and goes all the way directly to Uriah. Again, now, as it tells us, Uriah was not even, he wasn't even an officer level. Okay, we see that later. He was just in the regular ranks, right, within the army. And again, you can just imagine what Joab's probably reaction to this was. Like, well, I'm supposed to be the one reporting to David. Why is he sending and asking for this one specific soldier? Right, yeah, I, probably at this moment, Joab's probably sitting back going, what is the real story? What is really going on? Because Joab was supposed to be the healthy structure of accountability that was in place for David. And David goes right around him, straight to Uriah. Right? And as we see this, this story continue, okay, again, then Uriah shows up and, and gives David this report. Again, Uriah was not the person that was supposed to be updating David on how the war was going. That should have been Joab. But David went around him. And then the story continues to escalate. In verse 10, where it says, When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, What's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? 
And Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Job and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. We'll stay here today, David told him. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Again, David here is is realizing that his plan to, to have Uriah take the fall for this baby is not happening. Right? And Uriah is not complying. And then David, we see David's fourth mistake is that David tried to pull someone else into the same trap that he had fallen in. Okay, he tried to pull somebody else into the same trap. Again, as we know, right, Uriah should not have been back anyways, but yet he's, David is setting him up, and yet Uriah does not take the bait. Right, he does not fall into the trap. It doesn't work. And the the more that Uriah resists the temptation, right? That he knows he does, he's not, again, he does not deserve to be home with his wife. I mean, that's exactly what he says, right? And this is also where we see that, realize that Uriah was not even an officer level, right? He says, Joab and all of my superiors are out there. I'm supposed to be with them, right? And, it, and there's no reason that I should be here enjoying life and being with my wife. He says, I would not do that because that would be defying all of the ranks ahead of him. Right? And in this moment, right, as not only is Uriah not taking the bait and falling into the trap that David had set for him, right, he is also making David keenly aware of the fact that, that he, of his first mistake, right? That David is also supposed to be out there in the ranks with all of them. Because what does Uriah say? He's like, no, the ark of God is out there, as well as Joab and all of this, 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 this ranks of leaders. And again, who was supposed to be at the top of that rank? David. He was supposed to be where God was. Again, the ark represented God's presence. David was apart from God's presence in this moment. And all Uriah did, not only did he not fall into the trap that David tried to put him in, but he also made David realize how far away from God's will he really was. And what happens to a person of power when they are, are when the finger's pointed, when they are felt, you know, called out by somebody who's under them, right? And David does not react well. And then we see in verses 14 through 25, how the sin escalates one more time. 2 Samuel 11, verse 14. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah in the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. And then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know that there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Abilamech, son of Gibeon, killed 
at Thebes by a woman who threw a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall tell, and then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too? So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in open fields, he said, and as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Again, we see here as the sin escalates, right? David already has a list of sins that he's committed in the situation. And now David adds corruption and murder to the list. Right? As he used his power, again, to get rid of Uriah. Right, which was David's next mistake. Mistake number five is that David sacrificed his own integrity to protect himself. Because remember, up to this moment, David had been a very righteous leader. Right? David had done everything right. right. In fact, David's reputation preceded him. Right? What did Joab say? Like, hey, if we tell him about this battle, he's going to get upset. Right? He's going to think, why didn't you learn our lesson? We go through, through, you know, all of these. Like, David is a strong leader. David is a man of God. David knows what we should be doing. Right? But yet, Joab, again, Joab knows something's up. Joab knows that David is moving on a different motivation than what David's ever worked on before. Right? And now at this moment, David sacrifices his own integrity, right, to protect himself. Can you imagine the messenger in this situation? Right, as he's going back to give this message to David, and, and he's sitting there going like, oh man, because literally David could have just killed him when he didn't like the message. Right, and yet, he's coming back, and Joab's like, no, just say this, and David will be fine. Right, and he tells him that Uriah dies. Right, and then what is David's reaction? Oh well. Better luck next time. No big deal. Right? Because David, in his own heart and his own mind, is saying, my plan finally worked. Right? But yet, through this, this messenger is likely completely dumbfounded on the way David reacts. Because it wasn't consistent with who David was and how David had led the nation up to this point. But again, we know what the messenger didn't know. Right, and what Joab likely already suspected, and that is that David had a very different motivation at this moment. Right, that he was protecting himself instead of leading the way that God had ordained him to lead. And then we see um, the last few verses of chapter 11, picking up at verse 26. Okay, where it says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her. And, she brought, and he brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. And then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And so we see here, after Uriah is dead, and, and Bathsheba mourns his death, right? She's lost her husband. And then we see David's, Sixth and final mistake in this story, and that is that David thought he'd gotten away with it 
and that the situation had resolved. Right, David is sitting back in this moment and we can just imagine he's throwing a little party in his heart. Right, I, it worked. Right? I'll just bring her in as one of my wives. She'll have the baby and all is well. I can just move on. But we can't ignore the very last sentence of chapter 11. Right, and that is in the last part of verse 27. When it says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. It was not over. David thought he got away with it, right? But yet God is sitting back and be like, David, I know what you've done. You're not living up to what I called you to do, right? You've made all these mistakes. You, 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 you've drifted. And God deals with David. It is not resolved. And that, that's what we're going to pick up next week, right, is when God starts dealing with David with his sin. And next week, as we pick up the story, um, again, we will see how God convicts David and then da how David responds and repents and he finds forgiveness. But it's a process that God works him through. And we're going to dive into that next week. Okay, on how does David find redemption with God and end up with this biblical you know, reputation that we see, right? That he was a man after God's own heart. But today, as we look at, again, all these mistakes that David made and, and then ask this question, how does the life of David help me in my faith journey? Right, we, we can look at all these mistakes. We can look at this destructive path that David goes down and how many chances he had to get off of that road, right? He could have stopped it all the way back at the first mistake, Right? He could have, no, again, noticed himself, saw that lust in his heart, and be like, hey, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And he could have left for the battlefield that day, and it would have ended this whole process. But that's not what he did. Right? He continued to go down the road. And there's so many points in this where he could have come clean and could have stopped it and left a couple sins off of the laundry list of sins that David commits in this story. Right? But yet he goes through this whole process. Again, for David in this story, it is sexual sin that he first gave into. And then it escalated into this list of sins. But this same thing, these same mistakes apply to any sinful desire. There are many times in this story that David could have ended the process. He, he could have repented, turned his focus back on where it belonged. But by not doing that, he added more sin to the list. And there's one more sin that we need to add onto that list today. And that is the sin of his pride. The sin of his pride. Because David sat back and he had the attitude of, I don't need God, I can fix it myself. I don't need God to rescue me, to get me out of the situation, I'll take care of it myself. And that is the most prideful place we could ever find ourselves. I don't need God. I can do it myself. I'll fix it. I got myself into it. I'll get myself out of it. Right? But yet we see this passage in Proverbs 16, 18, right? That pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Again, David fell. David fell hard. David had a whole laundry list of sins. And a lot of mistakes that led him up to this point. 
Again, I want to I want to say today, how does this story help us? Because we all can identify with these mistakes. We've all made these mistakes ourselves. But right? with that, we'll say what 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 biblical concepts could David have used in his life? What can we use in our life to get off of this road before we completely destroy everything around us? Right? First off, is we need to to remember to have more confidence in God than in yourself. Have more confidence in God than in yourself. Okay, Romans 12, 3 tells us, because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Again, how do we evaluate ourselves? He says, well, compare yourself to God. And if you fall short, which we all do, then let God fix it for you. Right? And that's what we celebrated today in communion, right? Is the fact that Jesus took our place. And I have more confidence in who God is and his plan and his holiness than I do in myself and my own sinful nature. Because you've got to remember we have more confidence in God than in myself. Had David lived out that, he would have never gotten into that situation. All right, next is we need to set up a, a safety net of accountability and actually use it. Right, David had a safety net of accountability built up in his life. Okay, within the ranks of, of the military and the government and all those things and leaders, he had those people around him. Joab was one of those people. But David completely went around him and just did his own thing. Right, we need to set up that safety net of accountability, and then as soon as we're tempted at something, we need to use that net that we have set up. Right, one of the biggest reasons why accountability doesn't work in the church today is because we lie to our accountability partners. Set up that, that safety net of accountability and actually use it. Hey, we see in... You get James 5.16. Just confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We're supposed to help each other. Right? When we are tempted, when we start down that wrong road, when we start to make that first mistake, right? We're supposed to turn to each other as a family of God and say, I need you to pray for me. I need help. Set up that safety net of accountability and actually use it. And then the last thing I want to point out today is that we need to turn back to God as soon as you realize you have drifted. Again, there were so many times that David could have gotten off this destructive road, right? And turned back to God and, and found out, but he didn't do it. As soon as you realize you've drifted, turn back to God. And that honestly, was David's biggest mistake, was not turning back to God as soon as he realized he had drifted. In a lot of ways, David became a victim of his own success. James 4, 6, and 8 tells us, and he gives grace generously. Thank you, Lord, that you give grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. 
as soon as we realize our loyalty is divided, confess it to God and come back to God as soon as you realize that you've drifted. Right? And we can save ourselves and even those around us a whole lot of heartache of what our sin causes. Right? If we turn back to God as soon as we realize we've drifted. Because notice, right? He says, wash your hands, you sinners. And guess what? We're all sinners. Right? And none of us are above, you know, falling the way David fell. And I honestly believe that's one of the reasons why this story is in there. Right? Is to show us that we're capable of falling and then also showing us how to be restored when we do. And that's what we're going to study next week as we continue in the story of David's life. But here we are, come to my final thought here this morning. And that comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, where it says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glory standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Again, we all fall short of God's standard. Right? But through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, we can be washed clean and we can hit that mark. If we receive Christ as our Savior, confess our sin, invite him into our life, we are, are made perfect, right? He, God does what we can't do ourselves. And then after we receive Christ as our Savior, then we continue to grow and change and learn and be more like God tomorrow than we are today as we continue to journey forward in our faith. So wherever you are today, I hope we can learn from David's mistakes. Right? And one, if you've never received Christ your Savior, I hope you'll pray and receive him today before you leave. Right? And, and if you realize you've drifted, even if you are a believer, if you realize you've drifted, come back to God. Confess to him this morning and you can be set free from the penalty of your sins. Lord God, that's our prayer today. Lord, we bow our life at your feet. God, we thank you that we can come to you exactly how we are. God, but you don't leave us the same. God, that you want to forgive us and redeem us. Lord, make us perfect through the blood of Jesus. Lord, so that we can serve you in everything we do. God, I thank you that you didn't leave David at this point. And God, you don't leave us, Lord, dead in our sin either. God, I pray that you would help each one of us, Lord, as we continue to, to join the journey of faith and receive you as our Savior. God, as a follower of you, that we would move forward in our faith every day. And God, as we go this week, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to not fall into the same mistakes that we always fall into. But God, to, to learn and grow through your spirit. And God, guide us as, as, as we grow in our own faith, Lord, that we can shine your light and your love and your grace and your mercy to this world that so desperately needs you. Lord, we bow our lives at your feet. Lord, guide us as we go this week. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.